Thank you for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. We're currently walking verse by verse through the book of 1 John. We're excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. We just wanna make you aware of a couple things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks by searching at Hope Church LV. Also, be sure to check out our website, hopechurchonline.com. There, you can find out more information about who we are and where we're headed as a church. Once again, thanks for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. Please let us know if there's any questions you have or any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. As we open God's Word together this morning, I want you to begin by thinking about a question. It's not a question that I want you to answer out loud. It's a question I want you to just think about and begin to formulate your answer in your own heart to this question. And here's the question. What do you know for sure? What do you know for sure? Oprah Winfrey, a famous TV personality, says of this question, that it was her most embarrassing moment in her entire career on television because Gene Siskel was interviewing her about a movie and he asked her this question and she didn't have an answer. She didn't know what she knew for sure. What do you know for sure? I thought about that question this week and I thought about it in a variety of ways. What do we know for sure? Let me give you a couple of things that came to my mind that I think I can say today. I know these things for sure. I know for sure that the cutest grandchild ever born <laughs> was born this month. Let me introduce you to little Karis Grace Gracia. That's my little granddaughter born on July the 18th. And I know for sure that she's the cutest grandbaby ever born, right? All the grandparents in the room would have a problem with that, but you knew this was coming. I had to get this out of here, right? So, so I know that for sure. Let me, let me tell you something else I know for sure. If I take this football right here and I drop it, it's going to what? It's going to fall, right? Why do we know that? Because that's the law of what? Gravity. Gravity. We know that for sure. Thinking about, thinking about football, let me say something else I know for sure. <laughs> it's not what you think. It's not what you think. I know that on September the 10th, when we kick off our four-service schedule, that the 8.15 a.m. service that day is going to be awesome because NFL season kicks off at 10. And I know a bunch of you are going to feel real spiritual on that day and come to church at 8.15, right? I know that for sure. Well, obviously, I'm, I'm kidding about some of these things, except the thing about Karis Grace, but the rest of it I'm, I'm kind of kidding about. But in all seriousness... There are some things that as followers of Jesus, we should know for sure. There's some things that we should know. And as a matter of fact, as we're bringing our study in the letter of 1 John to a close, if you have your Bible, go ahead and open it to 1 John. It's, it's towards the end of the New Testament. It's a letter written by the Apostle John. And we've been studying this letter since January. We've just been walking verse by verse through this letter. And as we come to the last couple of paragraphs of this letter, John addresses five things that 
every believer should know. Since January, we have been walking verse by verse through this letter together. And John, as he gets to the end of the letter, he gives us a verse that gives us the purpose for why he wrote the entire letter. And it shouldn't surprise us, that's the way John wrote his gospel. Remember John who wrote the fourth gospel in the New Testament? That gospel was written, and when you get to the end of it, John tells us why he wrote it. Let me show it to you. John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31, look what it says. Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. Now just think about that for a minute. You know what that means? When we read the gospels, we just have a sampling of all that Jesus did. They didn't put it all in there. The the books wouldn't contain all that he did. But listen what he goes on to say. But these things have been written, this gospel, so that, that's an important little phrase in the Greek language. It's a word, hina, which means here's the reason why for this purpose. John says, I've written this down so that you may, say that word, believe. That Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have, say this word, life in his name. John said, I wrote the gospel to unbelievers so that they could hear the truth about who Jesus is. And in hearing about Jesus, respond in faith and believe and become followers of Christ. John wrote his gospel to unbelievers so that they could believe. And let me just give you an example of how I use that principle in my life. When I have somebody that I'm sharing the gospel with, they're not a Christian. And they respond, I share the gospel. They say, well, I'm just not sure I get all that. I'm not sure I understand that. Or I'm not sure I'm ready for that. Or I'm not sure I I believe that's who God is. You know what I always do? I ask them to take a 30-day challenge. And I ask them for 30 days if they really want to know who God is. Take 30 days and every day read 15 minutes out of the gospel of John. Why do I do that? Because John wrote it so that those could hear that weren't believers and believe. I say take 15 minutes for 30 days. Read out of the gospel of John. Just start in chapter 1 verse 1. And here's what I ask him to do. Before you start reading, simply say this to God. God, if you're real, would you show me who you are? Why do I do that? Because that's why John gave us the gospel. And I can't tell you how many times through the years someone has come to know Christ on their own by just simply reading. The Spirit of God takes the Word of God and draws people to himself. But the letter that we're reading was written for a very different purpose. Look at 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13. John gets to the end of this letter and look what he says. These things, talking about this letter, I have written to you who, say this out loud, wait a minute, last time he was writing so that they could believe, now he's writing to those who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that, here's the reason why, you may, say that word, know that you have eternal life. John wrote the gospel to unbelievers so that they could hear about who Jesus is and believe in him. John wrote this letter to those who were already believers. They were already walking with God. They were Christians, and he wrote it so that they could know for sure. They could have certainty about their relationship with God. 
So the first truth that John is going to unpack for us, we're going to look at today, of these five things that we're going to unpack over the next three weekends. Here's the first one. We can know that we have eternal life. We can know that. But if we'll all be honest this morning for just a minute, is that all right to be honest at church? Is that? And you say, well, isn't that a given? No. <laughs> I know what it's like. You drive to church in a big argument. As soon as you get out of the car in the parking lot, put the face on, walk in, everything's great at church, right? We're all good. Don't look at them right now if that happened to you this morning. But if we're going to get just real honest and transparent for just a moment, every one of us that have been walking with God as Christians for any length of time have had moments in our lives where we've struggled with doubt about our relationship with God. And if you're one of the rare Christians who've never struggled with doubt personally, you have almost always walked with someone and counseled someone who have struggled with doubting whether or not they're genuinely a Christian or whether they have a relationship with God or whether they're going to go to heaven when they die. John says, I have written this whole letter so that you can know that you have eternal life. So let's read this entire text here. I want you to look back in 1 John chapter 5. I'm going to go back to a couple of verses Travis unpacked last weekend, start in verse 11 and read through verse 13. He says, and the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. He who has the son has the life. He who does not have the son of God does not have the life. These things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Let's unpack these verses with four questions. Here's the first one. What is eternal life? It's important that we know that. And one of the reasons a lot of people struggle with doubt in this arena of, am I a Christian? Do I have eternal life? Is because they misunderstand what eternal life is. And John uses this word eternal life or life here in these verses five different times. So it's important that we define it. What I want to do is give you some statements about eternal life out of these verses that I hope will bring some clarity. And here's the first one. Eternal life is about a quality of life more than a quantity of life. Eternal life is about a quality of life more than a quantity of life. say, what do you mean by that? Well, some people hear eternal life, and they major on that word eternal. And the word eternal in the Greek language means without end, endless duration of time. And they think eternal life is simply all about existing forever. But that may not be a good thing. Because the Bible teaches us that everybody, every human being who has ever lived or will ever live will exist forever somewhere. There are two eternal destinies for every person. 
Some will spend eternity with God in heaven. Others will spend eternity apart from God in hell. So just endless existence is not necessarily a good thing. When John here promises eternal life, he's promising more than just a quantity of life. He's talking about a quality or the characteristic of that life. Well, what is that characteristic? Well, God created human beings in his own image. If you believe that, say amen. The Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 1 that God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God created human beings in his image. It's why human life is so valuable. And it's the reason why issues like we've seen over the last week in the news, whether it's racism in Virginia or abortion in Iceland to eliminate Down syndrome, it's why these are important issues to us as believers in Jesus. Because every person, regardless of color or physical condition, are precious and created in the image of God, and we should always stand up and value life. Why? Because life was created in the image of God. Every person is precious. That's why as believers, we should be pro-life in the womb, but we should not just be pro-life in the womb. We should be pro-life all the way to the tomb. We should be pro-life, whole life as followers of Jesus. Why? Because we're made in the image and likeness of God. Well, what does it mean that we were created in the image of God? Well, to be totally honest, there's a lot we don't know. We don't know all that it means to be made in the image of God. But let me tell you one thing we know for sure. It means that you and I were created to enjoy a personal relationship with God. God has existed for all eternity in a fellowship of community. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. One God, three distinct persons, eternal fellowship in community. And God created us to join in a fellowship relationship with him. God made us to know him, meaning this, you cannot experience real life apart from a relationship with God. Why? Because you were created for that. But the Bible also teaches us that in Genesis, Adam and Eve sinned against God. And when they sinned against God, they died spiritually. It means they lost the ability to have a relationship with God. The very reason they were created, they lost because of sin. And the Bible teaches us that every person since Adam and Eve has been born in that same spiritual condition, dead to God and alive to sin. That's why you don't have to teach kids how to do wrong. You got to teach them how to do what? Right. Because we come into this world dead to God and alive to sin. But God loved us so much that he did not leave us in that condition to spend eternity separated from him. God sent his son into the world. And Jesus took all of your sin and all of my sin on himself. And Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And he rose again from the dead as a testimony that God had accepted his sacrifice for our sins so that now you and I by faith could be given that which we lost because of sin, a personal relationship with God. That's why John wrote about it this way in John 3, 16. Look what he said. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son 
that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have what? There it is. Well, what is eternal life? John went on later to write this. Look at John 17, 3. He said, and this is eternal life. Whoa, 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 hang on a minute. He's about to define it. We better lean into this. This is eternal life, that you go to heaven when you die. Oh, that's not what it says, is it? This is eternal life, to know you. The only true God and him whom you have sent, Jesus Christ. You say, wait, 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 wait. Are you telling us heaven's not a part of the deal? No, that's not what I'm telling you. We preached a six-week series on heaven last year. Listen, heaven is real and wonderful, but let me tell you what makes heaven heaven. It's taking the relationship to an entirely new level. You see, right now I only know him by faith. But one day, that relationship that I now enjoy by faith, I'll get to see him and talk to him and touch him. One of the most difficult parts of the job of being a pastor is funerals. It's just challenging. It's a tough time to walk with families through death. But, but there are some funerals when I know the people well and I know their relationship with Jesus was there. I knew that they loved him and walked with him. There are some funerals I got to be honest, there's a little bit of mixed emotion. And here's what I mean by that I'm just a little bit jealous. Because what I now still only know by faith, they now are seeing with their eyes. So, yes. Go to heaven when we die. Yes, that's a beautiful part of what eternal life is. But eternal life is not just eternity out there. It's enjoying a personal relationship with God. And it's the relationship with God that makes heaven, heaven. Let me tell you the second thing eternal life is. Eternal life is a gift you must receive, not a reward you must earn. A lot of people think that life on earth is our big shot. (laughs) It's our one big shot to try to earn our way into eternity. You ask a lot of people, you got eternal life? Here's what they'll say. I'm working on it. Well, I'm trying. Well, I'm doing the best I can. Eternal life is not a reward that you earn. Look at what John said in John in verse 11. He said, and the testimony is this, that God has, don't miss this, given us eternal life. You see, because of what Jesus has already accomplished, you and I don't have to try to earn eternal life. And can I just let you in on a little secret? You can't earn it. No matter how good you try to be, no matter how moral you try to become, no matter how religious you are, you can't change the fact that you've already sinned against God. And because you've sinned against God, you're separated from a relationship with God. And somebody had to deal with your sin in order to reconcile you with God. And that's exactly what Jesus did. And so now God in his grace offers us that which we could never earn as a gift. It's a gift. The word gift, if you look it up in the dictionary... It's defined this way, something voluntarily transferred by one person to another person without compensation, meaning you don't have to do anything to get it. 
Let me give you three words that describe this gift. It's unearned. It means you don't gain it by labor, service, or skill. It's undeserved. It means that it's not based on our worth, whether we're cute or cuddly or good or moral or righteous. It's unmerited, meaning it's not something that I'm entitled to. Eternal life simply, get this, must be by faith received as a gift from God. Here's the third thing about eternal life. Eternal life is a present reality, not simply a future possibility. You have eternal life? Well, I hope so. I'm not sure yet, but I hope so. One day, I hope to get eternal life. Look what John said. God has given us eternal life. Is that past tense or future tense? Oh, English class, everybody just got nervous. (laughs) Has given. Past tense, future tense. Past tense, right? Everybody's afraid to answer. I'm not not letting me think about that. Past, present, past tense. God has given. Here's what that means. It's done. It means I already have it if I've received it as a gift from him. John was not hoping to get eternal life out there in the future someday. He already knew it as a present possession. Why? Because it's not heaven by and by. It's a relationship with God that carries me through this life and into eternity in heaven. Here's the fourth thing about eternal life. Eternal life is a person, not a place. Look back at verse 11. And the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life. And this life is, what does it say? In his son. You ask most people, where is eternal life? And here's their answer, heaven. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says eternal life is in Jesus. Some people ask the question, Do all religions ultimately lead to the same place? You know what my answer to that question is? Yes. All religions lead to the same place. It doesn't matter if you call it Islam or Mormonism or Buddhism or Christianity. If it's a system of do's and don'ts, rights and wrongs, rules and regulations where you're trying to earn your way into eternal life, all religions ultimately lead to the same place, which is eternity separated from God in a place called hell. Religion won't save anybody, but a relationship with Jesus Christ will change your life. The Bible teaches us something radically different than a system of religion. The Bible teaches us just the opposite. Not that you and I have to earn our way in. The Bible says there's nothing we could do. So God came and did what only he could do on our behalf. He purchased our redemption. And now when we receive Jesus, we get as a gift eternal life. That's what eternal life is. So let me give you a summary statement. I want to put all this together. Look at it. Eternal life is the present possession of a personal relationship with God through Jesus that extends into eternity and is available today to anyone who receives it as a gift from God. That is eternal life. It's the present possession 
So when we begin, when the enemy begins to try to create doubt, you're going to go to heaven. When you, listen, that's the wrong question. Here's the question. Do I have a personal relationship with God today that is carrying me through this life and extends into eternity? Did I receive that by faith? So that's what eternal life is. Let me, let me ask the second question this morning. How can I be certain I have eternal life? Because that's what John's really addressing here. There were some people who crept into the church here that John was writing to that had created doubt in a lot of people's lives. They started adding things to simply receiving what Jesus had done. And they were being confused. And so John wrote them this letter to give them evidence of what it looks like when you have Jesus. Because the real question is not, do I have eternal life? The real question is, do I have Jesus? Because eternal life is found in Jesus. And when I have Jesus, everything else comes with Jesus. Amen? So look back at verse 12. He said, he who has the Son has the what? And he who does not have the Son of God does not have the what? So the question is, do I have Jesus? And all throughout this letter, John has been giving us evidence of what it looks like when you have Jesus. So what I want to do is I want to do a quick little overview of where we've come from to give you some questions to wrestle through, okay? And these three questions will help you answer the question, do I have Jesus? So here's the first question. Is there a pursuit of intimacy with Jesus in my life? Do I have eternal life? John says, is there a pursuit of intimacy with Jesus in your life? The whole first chapter of this letter was all about fellowship. Fellowship we defined as pursuing intimacy with God. The word fellowship is a Greek word that literally means to share in the life of another, to enjoy life together. John wrote in the opening verses of this letter about his own fellowship with Jesus, and he said, I'm writing this to you so that you can enjoy that same fellowship with Jesus. John describes throughout this letter an intimate pursuit of, of Jesus. So the question is, do I have a pursuit of intimacy with Jesus in my life? Being a Christian is not practicing religion. It's not do's and don'ts and rights and wrongs and rules and regulation. Being a Christian is enjoying a relationship with Jesus. That's why when John writes this, he says, these things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. Notice what he didn't say. These things I've written to you who believed. If John wrote that, these things I've written to you who believed, it would mean, hey, we better go back to some experience in our past. And for some of us, it's been a minute, right? Some of you got saved in the last couple of weeks. Some of you have been saved in the last couple of years. Some of you has been a couple of decades. Some of you has been a half a century, right? 
going back to that moment in time when you heard the gospel for the first time and gave your life to Christ and drumming. If John had said, I'm writing to you who believed, here's what he would have meant. You need to go back there to that experience. You need to remember who said what. You need to remember what you prayed. You need to know that you knew the right things. And that's why a lot of people struggle. They're like, I don't remember all the details. Listen, I'm not saying that there's not a point in time. There's a point in time when every person comes to know Jesus. There's an experience when we're born again. But the longer I walk with Jesus, the further I am from that experience. And if that's all I have to look to, then i got to constantly try to no John says I'm writing to you who believe present tense meanings what happened in the past is still an ongoing reality in my life today I'm married my wife's name is Christy we got married May the 23rd 1992 you know how I know I'm married today because this morning I got out our marriage certificate and I read over it I saw both our names there I saw the preacher signed it and you know, you tell how I know I'm married? Because I woke up beside her this morning. What happened May the 23rd, 1992, there's still an ongoing reality of that in my life. You let me tell you how we know that we have eternal life. Do I have an ongoing intimate relationship with Jesus? Now, I'm not saying it's perfect. I'm not saying that as a Christian, if you don't wake up every day and have this love to spend time. No, listen, there are times in my life where spending time with God is the farthest thing I want to do. But here's what I am saying. As I look at my life since coming to know Jesus, there is a consistent pattern of pursuing intimacy with Christ. Are there times that I drift? Yes. Are there times that I move away from God for a season? Yes. But he always brings me back. Why? Because he loves me. Is there a pursuit of intimacy? Or have you just got church? Listen, if you just got church, even this church can't save you. No church can. But Jesus, do you have a relationship with Jesus? Here's a second question. Is there a pattern of obedience to Jesus in my life? You see, what happens out of the overflow of intimacy with Jesus is he begins to produce obedience in our lives. That's why John in this letter, turn over to chapter 2, verse 4, look what he says. He said, the one who says I've come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a what? Say it out loud. John's really a soft peddler with words, right? He's a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we what? We know that we are in him. How do we know? The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. As I look back over my life, Is there a growing pattern of obedience? It reminds me a lot of what John said in his gospel. John chapter 14, verse 15. Look at this verse. Jesus said, read it with me. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. You know how I heard that for a great part of my Christian life? Here's the way I heard it. If you love me, you better obey me. And when you hear it that way, guess where all the emphasis gets placed? On keeping the commandments. And so for a lot of my Christian life, I tried really hard to make sure I obeyed everything. And let me tell you how I did it, that terrible. No matter how hard I tried, I'd continue to fall flat on my face. 
And then I realized one day the Spirit of God showed me. He didn't say, if you love me, you better. Here's what he said. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Emphasis on loving him. The more I pursue, that's why John started with fellowship. The more we pursue intimate fellowship with Jesus, guess what happens? He then produces a life of obedience in and through us for his glory. Obedience is not the focus of my life as a believer. Obedience is the fruit of my life as I walk in intimacy with Christ. Fellowship with Jesus leads to following Jesus. Now again, I'm not talking about perfection. Pastor, are you saying that if somebody sins, that it's evidence that they're not a Christian? That's not what I'm saying. What John wrote here in these verses when he said, keep the commandments, it was, it was present active, meaning the ongoing rhythm of our lives. Here's what it means. As I now look at my life, are there days that I disobey God? Are there even seasons where maybe I rebel against God? Yes. But the pattern of my life now, the desire of my heart now, is to obey what he said in his word. Is that evidence in your life? Not perfection, but pattern. How do I know I have a relationship with Jesus? Are you pursuing intimacy with Jesus? Is there a hunger and a desire and a pattern for obedience to Jesus? That's what John's saying. This is how you know. This is how you know. Then there's a third one. Third question. Is there evidence of the life of Jesus... In my life. That's what John was writing about in chapter 4. Look at chapter 4, verse 7 and 8. John said, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is what? Say it out loud. Love. What's he saying here? Listen. Love's who I am. And the more you walk with me and desire to follow me, who I am is going to begin to be very obvious in and through your life. The more we walk with him, the more his life will be evident in our lives. Listen, there's some areas in my life that God is obviously still working on in, my, in me. There's some stuff that needs to be conformed to his image. But as I look back over my life, I see some areas that, can I be honest? When I gave my life to Jesus as a freshman in college, I didn't even know Jesus wanted some of these other areas. But as I've pursued him intimately and a desire for obedience has grown in my heart, he's begun to make himself known in my life where he's begun to shave off some of who I was and replace it with who he is. It's not finished. It's not perfection. It's an ongoing process of conformity to the image of Jesus. So John's writing to this church, these believers, these false teachers have come in, got them all nervous. Man, are we going to go to heaven? We don't know. John says, listen, here's how you know. Is there a pursuit of intimacy with Jesus in your life? Is there a pattern of obedience to Jesus in your life? Is there evidence of the life of Jesus being fleshed out in and through your life? John said, he who has the Son, you have the life. It's yours. Now, I want to say a word to two groups of people before we unpack the last next. Well, we've got two more quick questions, but they're really quick. If you're here this morning and you're hearing those three statements, 
and they're causing you some concern. I go to church. I try to be a good person, but intimacy with Jesus, pursuing God, a desire to obey him. One of two things. Number one, maybe you're here and you are a good church person, but you don't have Jesus. Maybe you need a relationship with Jesus. Maybe today is the day for you to stop trying and start trusting. Stop trying to earn and simply receive what God's given us in in eternal life. But there's a second group. Maybe you're here today and these questions have caused you some concern and you're going, I don't know how to respond. There are some of you that are, you're believers, you're followers of Jesus, but you're in a season where you've walked away from God. When I have a believer come and ask me, Pastor, I'm, I'm struggling with my relationship with God. I don't know that I'm a Christian. You know what the first question I always ask them, without exception, first question I always ask them, same question, here it is. Tell me about your time alone with God daily. And every time I've had a Christian come to me and say, I'm not sure I'm a Christian, and I ask them that question, here's what I always get every time. Well, it's, you know, it's really not where it should be. I'm really not pursuing. Listen, when you begin to drift in spending time with God, you're going to have all kinds of doubt creep into your life. So maybe you're here today and you genuinely are a Christian, but you're in a season of drift or there's an area of obedience that God's shown you and you are rejecting that area of obedience. And what needs to happen for you today? You don't need to be saved. You already know Jesus. You need to have a fresh surrender of your life to the Lordship of Christ and give those areas back to him that you've taken off the altar. So here's the next question. We're just going to address this quickly. Can I lose eternal life? Once I receive it, can I lose it? Well, we don't have time to unpack this exhaustively, but let me just say this about that question. John said he's writing this letter so that you could know that you have eternal life. If you can lose it, you can never really know. So if you can lose your salvation... 1 John is worthless as a letter in the Bible. That being said, obviously, no, you cannot lose your salvation. I can't. Listen, my relationship with God is secure, not because I'm holding on to him, but my relationship with God is secure because in his grace, he is holding on to me. And Jesus said, that which the Father has placed in my hand, no man will ever pluck out. We're secure in him. So that leaves us then with one last question. How? How can someone receive God's gift of eternal life? Maybe you're here today and you've heard this about a relationship with God that can carry you into eternity. And you're like, man, I've never heard that about Jesus. I don't, I've never received. I've tried to be a good person, but I've never received God's gift. How do you receive God's gift of salvation? What John say? These things I've written to you who what? Believe. The way to receive God's gift of salvation is simply by faith. You say, Pastor, that sounds way too good to be true. How can it be that simple? Let me tell you how. Because Jesus has already paid the cost 
for us to be reconciled to God. By faith, you just receive him. Let's pray together. Father, I pray this morning that you would take your word and speak truth into our lives. Lord, I pray for believers today that they have been encouraged and strengthened in their walk with you. Lord, those Christians that maybe have had some questions, I pray today that some of those questions even have been answered and that you have brought security and comfort to them knowing that they have Jesus. Lord, I pray for those today that don't know Jesus. I pray right now that you'd speak to them and draw them. Holy Spirit, would you draw them to salvation today? God, we ask you this morning to have your way here. As we sit quietly before the Lord, and as you think about some of the things that you've heard today, if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, God's gift of eternal life is available to you in Jesus. And all you need to do today is simply receive God's gift. You can be forgiven of your sin. You can enjoy a personal relationship with God, and you can be confident that that relationship will carry you into eternity in heaven with him. If you don't know Jesus, when we stand in just a moment to sing a song of worship, I'm going to invite you to slip out from where you're seated and come to one of these pastors here at the front and simply say to them, I need Jesus. That's all you have to say. And we'll have somebody sit down with you and open a Bible and show you how you can begin a personal relationship with God. You just come. So if you don't know Jesus, when we stand in a moment, you come. Maybe you know Jesus, but you realize that you've drifted in pursuing intimacy with him or there's an air of obedience that you're not ready to give over to him. In this moment, these steps, we kind of turn them into like an old-fashioned altar. You can come up here on these steps and just be alone with God. You can kneel here and just pour out your God. You can let this, pour out your heart to God. You can let this be a moment of just fresh surrender as you yield back to him, control. Others of you, maybe you'd like one of our pastors to pray with you about something in your job, your health, your family. Whatever it is, as God speaks to you today, you respond, and we'll be ready. Father, in this moment, Lord, would you have your way. Thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do in these moments. It's in the name of Jesus we pray.